Thank you, Pastor Scott. Good morning, everyone. It is absolutely great uh, to be with you. And I was out here to uh, teach a changing course consultation training on uh, Friday, I believe it was. I've lost track of days, but this must be Sunday. We're in church. And uh, so uh, took the opportunity as well to say, hey, wonder if there's a church I could preach God's word in. Love being with Alliance, the Alliance family across uh, the U.S. I bring you greetings from our president, uh, Dr. John uh, Stumbo, who spent a lot of time in these parts in the uh, Pacific Northwest, and just a real joy to be with you. I'm excited to hear your turnaround story and uh, what God is doing here at Alliance Bible Church uh, and through your pastor. And you speak well of your pastor. I heard that as I had conversations with you. And uh, so be encouraged by that, pastor. You're loved and uh, supported, and uh, he preaches with a Scottish accent. I feel very inadequate uh, this morning (laughs) with my normal American Midwest accent. And thank you as a congregation, uh, scanning your stuff in the database. You've given tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars to the Great Commission Fund over the years Uh, helping the Alliance to take all of Jesus to all the world. So thanks for leaning into that part of of what our family does uh, together. We really uh, do appreciate it. So uh, maybe you've heard, maybe you haven't. The National Office of the Christian Missionary Alliance has moved from Colorado Springs, Colorado to actually Reynoldsburg, Ohio, Uh, As a result of that, my wife and I moved just about a year and a week ago. So back last summer, uh, Ruth and I were in the garage of our new house uh, putting up some pegboard for yard tools. And and she was holding the board and and I was nailing it to the two-by-fours when I missed the nail and whacked my thumb and I'm dancing around, uh, swinging my hand uh, in the air but saying no inappropriate words. And I looked at Ruth in that moment and jokingly said, now you know I'm sanctified. (laughs) So what does it really mean to be sanctified? How do we enter in and stay engaged with the sanctifying work of the Spirit uh, in our lives? As we try to understand that more fully uh, this morning, I want to take us to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So if you'll turn there with me, we'll we'll read the first uh, 12 verses and then take a look at at what uh, the Spirit of God is saying through the Apostle Paul here about this matter of sanctification. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. And now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be, here's that word, sanctified. That you should avoid sexual immorality. That each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And then in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, 
Anyone who rejects this instruction, this instruction about sanctification, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. And yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. So we ask the first question, what is this thing that we call sanctification? You'll note in our passage the word sanctified in verse 3 and then the word holy in verse 4 and again in verse 7. And, and these are all slightly different forms of the same Greek root word which has to do with being holy. And so we understand that sanctification is this process whereby we are enabled more and more to live holy lives. We pick up here and in many other places in the Bible that the Lord does not save us to leave us in our same sinful lifestyle. Yes, he saves us to, to forgive us from the guilt of sin, but also to begin to transform us so that we do not go on living under the power of sin. He, he saves us in order to begin this lifelong sanctifying work in us that makes us progressively more holy, that makes us progressively more like Jesus. The specific Greek word in verse 3 that is translated sanctified is, is the word hagiosmos which carries this idea of being set apart or consecrated. It has to do with being solely dedicated to God for His use and His purpose. Now, I'll give you a practical little human example of this. Uh, Ruth and I have different opinions of what the scissors in our house should be used for. Women always laugh at this. It must be happening in other households as well. So when I want to cut cardboard or rope, maybe even tin, I look for the scissors. But Ruth says, don't use the scissors for that. She wants them to be what? Set apart for the purpose for which they were made. And that's what God wants for us. God wants for us to be set apart to him for the purpose for which he made us. The word sanctification also carries the idea of being filled. So set apart and filled. We are, we, we are set apart to God and then he comes and fills us with his Holy Spirit. Our Alliance founder, Dr. A.B. Simpson, wrote a powerful book called Holy Sanctified. And in that book, he, he says this, a little bit of a lengthy quote here, to sanctify means to fill. The literal translation of the old Hebrew word to consecrate, he says, is to fill the hand. It suggests the deepest truth in connection with sanctification that Christ himself 
must be the substance and supply of our spiritual life and fills us with his own spirit and holiness. After the most sincere consecration, we are but an empty possibility which he must make real. So in sanctification, we set ourselves apart to God and he comes and fills us with his Holy Spirit. And it is the Holy Spirit who gives us the power to live the sanctified life. You'll notice also from our text that sanctification is the will and call of God for the life of every believer. Paul says it clearly in verse 3, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. Verse 7 indicates that holy living is God's call on the life of every believer. In the alliance over the decades, we've used verbiage around sanctification like the deeper life, or I've heard some say the higher life. And some might conclude from lingo like that, that the sanctified life is only for the so-called spiritually elite, only for pastors, only for missionaries or elders or those who have been in the faith, faith a long time. And I want to say to you this morning, that is not the case at all. Sanctification is a vital truth for every believer, a vital experience for every believer. No matter how long you've been saved, no matter how short you've been saved, no matter what office you may hold, what title you may hold or not hold. So just briefly, I want us to see that there are three aspects of sanctification that are important for all of us to understand and all of us to experience. First of all, there is positional sanctification. Positional sanctification happens at the moment of salvation. In that moment, because of our new identity with Christ, His holiness is granted to us and written on our record. So in Hebrews 10.10, it talks about this when it says, by this will, we have been sanctified, past tense, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all time. And then in the Alliance, we talk about the crisis experience of sanctification. At some point following salvation, might be four minutes, might be four years, might be 40 years, but don't wait that long, please. We come to the realization that that while we are saved and while the Holy Spirit abides in us, that we have really been relying more on ourselves than we have been relying on the Spirit. And therefore, we find ourselves in this frustrating cycle of sin, confession, a new resolve to do better, but here it goes again, sin uh, a confession, a new resolve to do better, and we just keep going in that frustrating cycle ad infinitum. In the crisis experience, we come to the realization that, that we cannot do this Christian life on our own and that we must allow the Holy Spirit to do it in us and for us. This is the Romans 12.1 experience 
where those who are already believers are called to offer our bodies, our whole selves, as living sacrifices. Complete surrender to Jesus and to the fullness of his Holy Spirit. And then there's progressive sanctification. While progressive sanctification has already been taking place in our lives to some degree from the moment of salvation, now following the crisis experience of complete surrender, that progressive aspect of sanctification is accelerated so that we live in increased victory over sin and the old nature. And and we are made progressively more like Jesus. This is a Galatians 5.16 experience where we, walk, uh, where we walk continuously, is the tense, continuously walk in the Spirit, it says, so that you do not gratify the desires of the flesh. And as a result of this walking in the Spirit on a daily basis, there is an accelerated production of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, and we'll talk about some aspects of that fruit this morning. So, This gives us a little bit of understanding about this theological concept of sanctification. Next, we ask the question, how does sanctification happen in the life of the believer? Look at verse 8. Therefore, if anyone rejects this instruction, this instruction about sanctification, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. So we take from that verse that sanctification is not a humanly contrived doctrine, nor a humanly produced work. Experiential sanctification is not merely a Simpson doctrine born out of his personal experience talking about our founder. It's not merely an alliance doctrine. It is a biblical doctrine revealed by God in his word. It's not humanly contrived and it's not humanly produced. This process of being made holy or becoming more like Jesus is not accomplished by our own human effort. It does not happen because we grit our teeth and try a little harder to do better. It is not accomplished by taking five steps to a better life. All of us have tried to do better Many times, only to repeatedly fail and become frustrated. And it is the failure of our own efforts that bring us to what we just talked about a minute ago, this crisis experience of surrender where we yield ourselves fully to the person and power of the Holy Spirit, and he begins to do stuff in us that we know we could never do, so that we begin to be surprised by our own actions and reactions. Last summer, I was playing golf with my son and a couple of our friends, and and we made the turn between the front nine and the back nine, came to the par three tenth hole, and I stepped to the tee and, and hit my ball only to see as it was coming down that I was hitting into the foursome in front of us. And even if you don't play golf, you got to realize you don't hit the ball where it's going to hit the people in front of you. 
So they were gathered off to the left of the green. Had they been on the green, they would have been perfectly safe with, with me hitting the ball. But they were gathered off to the left of the green, and that's right where my ball landed. So I felt bad about this uh, violation of golf etiquette and drove the cart up to the green and apologized to them. I value golf etiquette enough that I might have done that simply out of uh, taking a step of human initiative. But when I apologized and said that I hadn't seen, seen them, one of the guys suggested in a rather snarky tone that it was impossible that I hadn't seen them and that I must need to go see my eye doctor. Well, all bets are off at that moment. And I can assure you that's where my human effort would have broken down. And I would have pronounced an Old Testament curse on this man. May you get a triple bogey on every hole, and may the fleas of a thousand camels infest your armpits. Well, in that moment, instead of pronouncing that curse, the Holy Spirit gave me this outside-of-myself ability, surprisingly, to just calmly and kindly say, I'm really sorry, all I can do is apologize. And I turned the cart around and drove back to the tee. And I'm guessing you can relate to some situation in your life where you've uh, faced uh, a challenge like that, and through the Spirit's control and power, you did the right thing, and we're kind of surprised by it. And absolutely, in those moments, we absolutely know that it is not us. <laughs> it is not us but it is the person and power of the Holy Spirit working through us. Sanctification is not the result of our own human effort. Sanctification is divinely revealed doctrine that involves the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Again, verse 8, if we reject this doctrine, we are not rejecting anything human. Rather, we are rejecting the Holy Spirit whom God has provided for us in order to do this sanctifying work in us. Uh, uh, the phrase there, look at it, underline it, the very God who gives you His Holy Spirit. And this reminds us that the Holy Spirit resides in every believer. Romans 8, 9, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. So it's impossible to know Christ, to be in Christ, and not have the Holy Spirit abiding in us. Believer, hear this this morning, listen to this this morning, the third person of the triune Godhead lives in you. Do not believe for a minute that living a successful Christian life is left up to your own strength and effort. Knowing that would never work, God has given us His Holy Spirit. And more than just residing in us, the Holy Spirit desires to fill every believer. The command of Ephesians 5.18 for every believer is to be, again, it's a continuous tense, to be, keep on being filled with the Spirit. To be filled means to be immersed in, to be fully under the control of the Holy Spirit 
so that He's leading us and He's providing the needed power to overcome the sinful attitudes and thoughts and words and behaviors that, that we easily find ourselves engaged in. Through His sanctifying presence in our lives, the Holy Spirit does in us and for us what we could never do ourselves. And that brings us to the third question. What difference will the sanctifying work of the Spirit make in our lives? And in 1 Thessalonians 4 here, Paul lays out a very practical list, relevant list, timely list of the results of the sanctifying work of the Spirit and how he transforms the way that we live so that our witness for him to those still outside the church and outside of Christ, so that our witness is credible and impactful. So here's the first uh, one of those practical results. The Spirit enables us to control our bodies so that we avoid sexual immorality. Look at verse 3 again. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. And then he's going to start unpacking that that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. So as Christians, none of us is exempt from sexual temptation or falling into sexual sin. Pastors fall, elders fall, church members fall. And we are all especially vulnerable because like the original recipients of this uh, epistle of, of Paul's to the Thessalonians, like them, we are living in a sex-saturated culture. Uh, the, the cesspool of sexual misbehavior is out there calling to all of us, but we are not to give in to this passionate lust. We're to be distinct from, set apart from our pagan culture rather than participating in it. I remember as a young teenager uh, being with an older friend who stole some sexually explicit material from a bookstore that we, we were in. It scared me half to death. I was absolutely sure we were going to get caught. And, and later on, when I wasn't there, he was caught. And, and my point in telling that story is that with the Internet piping all kinds of things into our devices and televisions, uh, piping all kinds of things into our home, the public risk of acquiring such material is is a a thing of the past. And as a result of that, too many believers are caught up in regular exposure to and even addiction to pornography. And, And pornography is... In and of itself, it's destructive, but, but I also believe it is, it's like the gateway drug to sexual misbehavior. It, it breaks down a person's resistance and makes it an easier step to actually get involved with another person in an inappropriate and immoral way. And, and with a crowd this size and perhaps some listening uh, on the Internet, it, it's even possible that there are some within the sound of my voice who are in a struggle 
with pornography, with a, in this repeated guilt confession cycle. And they've been in that cycle so long that they are extremely frustrated and feeling like there is no hope, no way out. So how do we learn to do what Paul says here, control our own bodies in a way that is holy and honorable? Such self-control comes only through the work of the Spirit in us and not through our human efforts at self-discipline. Again, Galatians 5, 16, walk by the, what, Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. We walk by the Spirit and allow Him to lead us through our daily surrender to His control. And then He will use the Word He inspired to guide our lives And he will give us these spirit-sensitized consciences that clearly understand right and wrong. And he gives us the power and ability to choose. When we call on him, the Holy Spirit will exercise his power on our behalf. Read a little further in Galatians 5, and we find that self-control is among the fruit of the Spirit. It's in surrendering to the Spirit and learning to draw on His power that we are able to practice the kind of of self-control that enables us to overcome uh, sexually immoral behavior or any other kind of sinful behavior that we may be struggling with. So the Spirit empowers us to practice self-control, especially in this area, of sexual immorality that is so rampant in our culture. Next, as he does his sanctifying work in us, the Spirit impacts relationships so that we love one another. Verse 6 talks about relationships in a specific way that we're going to come back to that. But generally the verse is talking about behaving properly in relationships. And verse 9 then sets this in a context of our love for one another. And we're back to that list in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is, first one, love. Love involves preferring the other person over myself. And that's the kind of love that the Holy Spirit pours into our hearts according to to Romans chapter 5. So whether we're talking about conflict in marriages or conflicts in the church, the major issue is whether we're operating in the flesh or whether we're operating in the spirit as we respond and react to one another. I've worked with churches. In fact, I talked with a pastor just a couple of weeks ago in this situation that have where where the church has been engaged in spirit-grieving, spirit-quenching conflict for years and even decades. Why? Because people aren't walking in the Spirit. They're not living in the fullness and power of the Spirit. And, and, And the same thing can be said for some marriages. They've been in conflict for 
many, many years. And, and again, we can't just grit our teeth and will our way to better interpersonal behavior. Only through the work of the Spirit can we begin to prefer our brothers and sisters. Can we begin to prefer our spouses and begin to respond and react in ways that build up the other person and honor Christ. I wonder, as you examine your own life, are there relationships where reconciliation and forgiveness are needed and you're struggling with that and maybe you've been struggling with it for a long time. It is the Spirit of God who can pour that kind of love into your heart to get that relationship back to where it needs to be. The sanctifying work of the Spirit will enable us to live in love and unity. And then the third thing is an outworking of that. As we think of the, the, the impact of the sanctifying work of the Spirit on our lives, the Spirit reigns us in so that we do not use people for our own purposes. Back in verse 6, and what it specifically addresses regarding our relationships. Remember, he's been talking about sexual immorality and avoiding that. And and verse 6, that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. So, it's really addressing here what we've come to know as spiritual abuse or abuse of trust, where we try to leverage our authority and power as a man, as an adult, as a leader, to take advantage of a brother or sister, often involving sexual immorality. And the verse is very clear that this kind of behavior is not acceptable and will come under the Lord's discipline. In recent years, there have been a number of high-profile cases of spiritual abuse, often but not always involving sexual immorality. And right now, from my perch, we're seeing a spike in spiritual abuse accusations. And where this kind of behavior happens, it is really the result of of leaders or men or adults who are living out from under the control of the Holy Spirit. Behavior that is looking for what I can get out of my position rather than how I can serve other people. And this is especially grievous when it involves sexual abuse, but it's really grievous when it involves our positions being abused in any way, shape, or form. As I read recently, failure in ministry is not typically because of our inability to handle doctrine, but because of our inability to handle power. Another fruit of the Spirit is gentleness, or sometimes translated meekness. And commentators have defined this Greek word, translated meekness, as not meaning weakness, even though it rhymes with meekness, not meaning weakness, but power under 
control. Allowing the Holy Spirit to control us will keep us from trying to control other people. Will keep us from using our leadership or any position of of authority or power to take advantage of other people. The, The fourth thing we see, as he does his sanctifying work in us, the Spirit enables us to live and work in a way that contributes positively to the community. Verse 11, make it your ambition to lead a what quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. And keep in mind as we read that, that the writer and original readers of these words were carrying out their lives and ministries in a cultural environment that was very unfavorable to the Christian faith and mission, more so than anything we've ever faced in our lives. And yet the instruction to Christians was what? To lead a quiet life. Lead a quiet life and stay focused on what you're supposed to be doing. So when it comes to excellence in the marketplace, work ethic, Christians should be where? At the top of the list. If we're the ones not pulling our load or complaining about everything, then our witness for Christ is tainted. Take it a step further little different venue. In our neighborhoods, of all people, Christians should be known for our love. In addition to being a fruit of the Spirit, loving our neighbors is a command of Jesus. Loving our neighbors regardless of where they're from, what religion they espouse, what kind of conduct and lifestyle they carry out, or how often they mow their yards. Our highest goal is to influence them for Christ and to see Him transform their lives. And our best tool for doing that is the love that the Holy Spirit, the unconditional love that the Holy Spirit pours into our hearts. The sanctifying work of the Spirit will enable us to be purveyors of these things. Think about it. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These character traits developed in us by the Spirit will not lessen our influence on the people in our culture, but will increase it. So that verse 12 We win the respect of outsiders and are able to share Jesus with them with credibility and impact. Again, all because of the sanctifying work of the Spirit in us. As we bring this to a close, I want to go back to these three aspects of sanctification. And I want you to ask yourself, or better yet, Allow the Spirit of God to search you and speak to you over this question. What is my need in relation to this important biblical doctrine of sanctification? Could it be in the area of positional sanctification? 
Has the enemy convinced you that you are a worthless sinner who cannot help yourself but falling regularly into sinful behavior? No, no, no. That is a lie of the enemy. You are sanctified through Christ's sacrifice. God sees you as holy in Christ. And the Spirit will empower you to live out that position that you've been given so that you are living your life in victory. What about the crisis experience of sanctification? This morning you're here, you know you're saved. You know you've been forgiven. You know you're on your way to heaven. But you are, if you are honest with yourself, living a defeated Christian life. No matter how hard you try, no matter how many times you try to do better. And I would ask you this morning, has there ever been a time since your salvation experience where you admitted your inability and surrendered your life fully to the Lord so that the Holy Spirit who abides in you can now come and fill you? you. And if that experience has never happened in your life, today can be the day. What about progressive sanctification? Maybe you can point, you can point to that salvation experience. You can point to that Romans 12, 1, surrender everything experience. And yet you know today that you've taken back control of some specific area of your life. And as you think about it, you know that area of your life is not pleasing to the Lord. And today's call for you is to come back to that place of full surrender, back to a fresh experience of the fullness of the Holy Spirit, who again can do in you and for you and through you what you can never do yourself. And let me add a fourth category. You may not know quite how to categorize it, and that's okay. You just know today that you need a fresh outpouring and infilling of the Holy Spirit on your life. Whatever the Spirit is saying to you as he speaks to you, will you yield to him and allow him to do his deeper work in you? Would you bow your heads with me in prayer as we close? I don't know that we're closing the service. I don't know what comes next. But as we close this part of the service, I'd love to include you in my closing prayer, not by name. I don't even know your name. That's okay. I'd just love to include you. And uh, if, if you'd like to be included in that closing prayer, if you're saying today, I need the Spirit of God to do something fresh in me, first time feeling, fresh feeling, whatever it is, that's what I need in my life. And, and, and I'm surrendering again for the first time or the, for, the, for the next time to the fullness of the Spirit of God. Would you just lift up your hand? Anyone at all? Yes. Several of you across the congregation, the church family. Jesus, would you just speak to these hearts right now and cement in them what you want to do as we take just a quiet moment for those who raise their hand to cry out from their hearts to you in terms of what they need right now, Lord.
Spirit of God, fall fresh on us. Fall fresh especially on these who have cried out to you and indicated the need for something new, something deeper in their lives. Lord, I pray that this would be a turnaround moment. I pray that this would be a moment when they sense that the Spirit of God is filling them in a way they've never experienced before. Is going to take them to new victory that they've never experienced before. We trust you, precious Holy Spirit. Not only for what you're going to do in this moment, but from what you're going to do from this moment forward. For these dear ones who are seeking after your heart. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you that you've given us the Holy Spirit. Thank you that we don't have to figure this out. Thank you that it's not sink or swim on our own. Thank you that we have the very power and person of the third person of the triune Godhead living in us. Holy Spirit, we surrender to you. We set ourselves apart to God. And we pray, fill us in Jesus' name.